past 7 o'clock. It's Monday night, so you know where we are. Getting you ready for Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a good one again tonight. Ira, you are in studio, and you had kind of a busy weekend. So would you like to tell us about where you've been? Wow, it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I got to see two goats, yeah. but I wasn't on a farm or anything. I got to see the goat. <laughs> Well, arguably the GOAT in, in golf in terms of Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods. We're going to see Tiger play uh, and maybe a future GOAT in, in Charlie Woods because the way he <laughs> played, um, I, I think that, I think the, what the, the next the person who's going to take the GOAT title perhaps would be Charlie Woods the way he played. And then I got to see Tom Brady on Sunday night did not play at, the, at a GOAT level, certainly losing 9 nothing to the New Orleans Saints. I, I heard someone in the national media make a comment like, did you think 15 or 20 years ago you'd be sitting here – on as you know, on a weekend, getting ready to see, you know, Tiger Woods, Tom Brady, and LeBron James all, you know, still be close to the top of their sport, or you know, com- competing at a level where we're still really intrigued. It's kind of crazy how that's worked out. We've been really lucky for it. Well, yeah, it was. It's fortunate that they, you're right to say that they they played at, at such a high level, and it was, you know, about ten months ago. Uh, you never would have thought. I never would have thought Tiger would have been out there playing yeah. uh, and playing the, the way he played, and it was just, it was great. It was a weird. It was just when he made an announcement that he was going to play in this PNZ Championship. I'm like, I was shocked that he was going to play. In Me it. too. And then I had to go get tickets, and it was very hard to get a ticket there, and it was just great. I'm glad I went up to Orlando. Was at the Rich Carlton in Orlando to watch it. So, but it is amazing that you got to see Brady. You know, I didn't get to see LeBron this weekend, but I got to see uh, certainly Brady and. And Tiger. I'm a, a avid golfer, as you know, and the course looked beautiful, so I can't wait to hear more about this golf course. Um, you can see it. You can see all of uh, Ira's escapades on any form of social media at Ira on Sports. Ira, great guest coming up at 720. He's Gene Frenette. Tell us about it. Gene is the writer for the Florida Times Union. Uh, he's a cover, been covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for years. So we thought, and get someone on who actually has insight into the mm-hmm. Jacksonville Jaguar Urban Meyer situation, everything we talk about Jacksonville all the time with Trevor Lawrence. So I I heard Gene on an interview on a national show, and I said, boy, he'd be great to guest to have on. So I'm excited to have him on our show. And then at 745, we're going to bring in Vincent Gray. And we this is uh, we, we recorded this interview, but Vincent's just – it was a fantastic interview. Tell us about Vincent. He's just a, he's the star cornerback for Michigan Wolverines. Uh, he's been there for three year, four years, really, and uh, played – just a great player, and one of the reasons why, I mean, he gives some insight during the interview in terms of, you know, about the Ohio State rivalry and the whole year in Harbaugh and, and everything. So it's going to be great to have, and he's someone who is who has really improved all the time, and now he's you know playing against Georgia, and he's, and he's going to have to have a great game to stop Georgia from machine go to the national championship game. And he knows that, and he talks about that, and that's one of the things, I think people will love this interview. You know, we interview professional athletes all the time, and they, they kind of like, their answers are so cookie cutter. There's so many things you have have to say things you can't say when you're interviewing technically an amateur he's a college kid he kind of had no filter in some of these things a lot of things you wouldn't hear from a pro no it was great i think he's a lot of enthusiasm and i think he speaks for the rest of the team they have a lot of passion and with their coach too so i think michigan and georgia I can't, that's gonna be a phenomenal game new year's eve uh between, between the wolverines and the bulldogs and we're looking forward to that we'll be uh rooting for that and we have vincent uh, gray joining us 7:45. all right i would take us to orlando this was uh <laughs> the start of your big weekend well this is a weird tournament it's supposed to be a father-son but then it became father daughter and then it became like person parent and yeah. it's, it's to be but to be able to play in it you have to be won a major tournament but they had nelly corda who won a female so they have a female so with he played with her father uh peter corda who was who actually won major tennis championships too so i don't know what <laughs> a lot of majors you have nick fowdo and his son tom watson uh bubba watson and his son patty harrington who we had on our show matt kuchar david duvall jim furick and it was last year tiger played with charlie when he was 11 and uh, but this year the the improvement from Charlie from eleven to twelve was just tremendous. People I didn't see him last time on TV, but people said it was just amazing. But Justin Thomas and his father won last year, and then they were paired. And the way they play, it's a weird. They the person drive. There's only two days, Saturday and Sunday, and they you, they both supposedly drive off the tee. But if the first what Tiger did was if Charlie would have a good drive. Now Charlie was hitting from like the women's tees or further up. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's only 12 years old, but, and if it was a good shot, then Tiger was saving himself and Tiger wasn't hitting a drive. So that was the one thing you got to notice that Tiger really, and, and every time he, he did drive, he sometimes would take Charlie's in the first place. But the fact that Charlie drove so well, like it was cute. <laughs> it's like Charlie would hit a shot and Tiger looks at him and says, are we good? And he, you know, he put his yeah. thumbs up like it's good. And then he goes, okay, let's go. <laughs> you know, so uh, he doesn't have to do anything. And it was, that was, that was pretty cool about that. But that's, so it's that type of, 
a format, and then you just play the best the best ball the rest of the way, and then they each play that shot. It was almost impossible for me to figure out like the scoring and how it was because it was weird. And then also I. I wasn't, I was just doing to take pictures. I mean, my pictures are awesome. Yeah. Like, I love doing that for pictures. I wasn't really caring. Like, yeah, again, this is not professional golf. I mean, there's golf. John Daly won with his son, who's a college in Arkansas, he's yeah. a freshman at Arkansas. So, I mean, I would think that when next year, when Tiger's healthy and Charlie is now 13 years old, like, they're going to be unbeatable. <laughs> like, there's no way they're going to lose but, because they only lost by a stroke in this one. But it was uh, it, the, the resort, it's at the Rich Carlton Resort. It's beautiful. The course is, is amazing. It, on TV, it looked fantastic. And uh, it's right between, it's right near Disney. It's mm -hmm. it's near Universal, right near Universal. And it's between the JW Marriott and the Ritz-Carlton uh, uh, Hotels. And it was very, they limited the number of tickets. I mean, you could not buy this and stuff up, Ticketmaster. I had to go through my broker who went through his connections and I got there and it was like, but everyone was friendly and nice. And it was just cool to get there. And then it's not like they only had, what, 20 golfers and their kids. So it was like 40 people out there. So you usually have much more in a golf tournament. And it was great to see. And then I was positioned when Tiger walked out. And he did not, when he first walked out, he, I have a video. He did not walk so well. But he started walking better. I think maybe he was just like, it seemed like when he was sitting for a while, anybody who has a bad back or leg or whatever, when you're sitting a while, then it, it takes a while to get moving. Once he was walking, then it seemed he would walk better. But then they went and they teed off. At, they were doing the, the driving range. But it was hard to get good pictures from there. But when on the putting green, I got some really good pictures where they were working. But Charlie has his own routine. Like, this is not <laughs> like, Charlie knows what he's doing and he dressed immaculately like they were to the d like even wears his glove in his back pocket the same exact way <laughs> the tiger wears it i mean they looked exactly and the only difference is charlie likes to keep his shirt out where tiger tucks his shirt in and it was pretty cool though but from a distance like you would like say well where's that tiger is that charlie even though charlie is so small compared to tiger in terms of he hasn't had his growth spurt yet but he Considering his mother's tall, Tiger's tall, and his sister is is tall is as tall as Tiger right now, you'd expect that Charlie will grow and, and be as tall as Tiger soon. But uh you know, I was gonna say you, you nailed it in the sense of like it was like watching a mini me. You know, you've seen Austin Powers, he makes a clone of himself. Even on TV, and I don't know if you were able to catch this, you know, being there, a lot of their mannerisms are the same. Like the way they look after a good shot or a bad shot's identical. You can tell that they're cut from the same cloth. Someone it's did on TikTok with it, but look at my videos too, because when when Charlie hits a shot. He'll do the, he'll twist the, he'll the club let, twirl, club twirl <laughs> drop it. And then also when Charlie's like waiting, you know, Tiger recently has got this thing where he leans on his putter, like he'll lean, like because it hurts his, yeah. when his leg. But Charlie, certainly his legs are fine. He does the same thing. <laughs> and tar Tiger, but I, Charlie was, I know we're talking Tiger, Charlie, we're going back and forth, but Charlie was amazing because first of all, I cannot believe like he's 12 years old. There are thousands of people out there. I don't, I'm going to say, I'm going to estimate two, 3000 following him. There are people who win NCAA golf tournaments. There are top 200 people in the world golfers that don't play in front of this many fans. Like it's hard to navigate when you're playing and people were screaming him now, like Charlie beat your old man, Charlie, <laughs> that's the way to go. And it did not distract him. He did not, when he hit a bad shot, throw was frustrated. He's calm. He's more calm than Tiger is really, but it's just like his focus was there. You could see just, he was, he just did not look around his moment. I cannot believe his demeanor. And, and he was so nice. He was nice to the volunteers. His caddy, he worked with his caddy. Tiger worked with him too. Tiger came up and they talked about different things. But he worked a lot with his caddy. And I thought even just, they played with Justin Thomas and his father. And Justin Thomas, you could see the relationship between Justin Thomas oh, yeah. and Tiger. Oh, they after Justin Thomas hit a drive, he turns to Tiger. He goes, do you think you're ever going to hit a shot like that ever? You know, like <laughs> you, he was really riding Tiger. It's like, and you, oh, they're definitely only, friends. Only if you're good friends can you talk to Tiger like that. And, uh, but he would go up to like Justin Thomas's father I'm sure he was like 67 years old but he was so he would he Charlie would talk to him like they'd be walking down and they were joking around and kidding and you saw them laughing with each other like you just see this kid is like a perfect kid and but you're watching him and you're like oh my gosh like what practice I mean Tiger when he was 12 years old was famous it was on the Merv Griffin show and all this stuff but Tiger wasn't this but he had nobody following him mm -hmm. like this like this is unheard of that you have a kid who's 12 years old but his level of play was amazing I mean there was a point on Sunday where he was like putting, and that's what I noticed even on Saturday. His putts, they it was one point, Justin, Thomas, Tiger, and Charlie were all like 15 feet from the hole. And he just nailed that putt. It was like right there. It's not luck. I mean, he knows exactly he his reading of the greens is perfect. He knows what to do. And it's just it's just amazing how well he played. It, I mean, it helps when you've got uh, the goat as someone to uh, to teach you and practice with. No, his composure, everything is amazing. And like you said, he just seems like a great kid. So 
happy to, you know, it was happy to watch them. It was a really fun experience. Yeah, I mean, ti- from the Tiger perspective, his short game, and you saw this on Sunday too on TV, but when I, you could see that, remember when the accident, he made a comment, he goes, after his accident, he was concerned, he goes, do I still have my hands? And, and when he knew, and he, they said that, like, for the first time, he said, I just had people throw stuff at me just because I could catch. And you could see his short game was perfect. I mean, any all his approach shots were amazing and everything. His he does With his leg, it's just hard for him to get the power to drive, and that's what it'll come. I, I never thought 10 months from his accident that he would be even what he was at. So we'll see what kind of progress he makes. But his putting was great, and certainly uh, from, his, from his approach shots. He rode the cart most of the time. I mean, sometimes he'd walk around. But his limp, as I said, his limp, some holes he limped, and other times you didn't even notice. Like, mm-hmm. if he was on the green and he's, like, waking for his putt, for his putt it's almost like he forgot. He, there was no limp whatsoever. Like, when he was just walking, he was limping. But when he was on the green, like, I saw him, like, run from one side of the green to the other, and he had no limp at, at all. Um, it was... It was hard to follow a little bit because they did not want you. Sometimes they Tiger did not want the crew. Sometimes if you're on someone a green, you go to, you can watch the green and go to the next hole because the cor- the whole course was set up. Tiger would say, you either watch it from the green or go to the next tee. He wouldn't, just for his group, he wouldn't let people. So I sometimes couldn't watch them putt because I wanted to get the shots from the tee shots. And then it was hard to get Charlie because he teed up in front of Tiger. Yeah. So I couldn't get both at the same time because I'm not going to let you walk back and forth. But another interesting thing is Daly played. At one point, they, they met the Daly group. Daly was playing ahead of him, and they were, it was, the groups were backed up. And uh, Daly, I suppose there is some friction between Tiger and Daly because they didn't talk. Daly did not talk to Tiger. Huh. He was sitting right there in a tee cart, and they must have been there for 15 minutes. Not one word to Tiger, not one word to Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas went into Tiger's cart and just sat there. But you had thought that Daly would, like, say something. Didn't say anything the whole time. I didn't, didn't pick up on that part, but crazy how that goes. It's 7-12, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. About eight or so minutes, we'll have Gene Frenette from the Florida Times Union join us. Anything else you want to touch on in this before we get to NFL? Um... No, really, it was just, I think that, also, Justin Thomas looked great. I thought he played fantastic. He had amazing drives and, and, and played really well. He looked totally on, and it was, I was just, he was he was hitting it well. And uh, so, in, in, in form, for for major, major type form, he played well. Like, I thought he was, that was one little, it was neat to see Tiger, Justin Thomas, and then Charlie, but it, that whole interaction, and, and people talk about how, the I'm going to get back to that one about the relationship. I cannot believe I have I've watched Tiger play with so many people and and I've never seen people to, I've never seen that that uh, interaction he had with a, another player and you could hear them just talking and I have a video go on Iron Sports on, on Instagram for about 30 seconds they were going over like a stroke like Tiger's like I'm trying to hit with this with that and you heard Justin and him going back and forth and if you can listen to this I mean it was just neat to see them just talk about their their stroke and their forms it, it, yeah and it's you know we didn't get the pleasure of seeing that uh, you know as closely as you did obviously once again at Ira on sports to follow along with Ira. So then after that, you headed over to Tampa, Ira. Um, you know, they're saying now that there's there used to be two um, Achilles heels for Tom Brady, Eli Manning, Nick Foles, and now the regular season Saints. <laughs> he just cannot beat the, his division uh, rival. And this was a game where, granted, they had a lot of injuries, Ira, but Tom Brady just never kind of got going. And it was a pretty bad performance from the box. It was a terrible, and it was one, now they're 0-3. You can't say it's a surprise when they were trying to win the division. They know their record against the Saints. They won in the playoffs last year, but they've had some of the worst performances. So they were ready for this game. Everyone was pumped. It was a red out. The stadium was ready for this. This And the Saints start Taysom Hill. There's no Drew Brees. Saints have been playing up and down. No, no Sean, Sean Payton. Payton. No yeah. Sean Payton. No, they're with, out with COVID. So you're thinking, this is it. And... Again, they just, I mean, I just saw them last week when they're scoring at will, it seemed, against Buffalo. And then in this game, they just could not move the ball. And then they suffer all these injuries during the game. And that's really what hurt in terms of, of, of their whole performances. No, and you got to give credit to New Orleans, of course. They played very good defense. And they, they gave them fits. You know, Brady just didn't kind of get comfortable. Let's talk about getting to the game, though. You've been to, to Tampa now. I feel like you go, like, four times a year. So, no you know, no stranger for you getting in and around there. Oh, it's, I love going to that stadium. It's great. Parking is so easy. Parking is cheap. I like going to the game. You get there an hour and a half. They open up the gates an hour and a half before. The club seats open two and a half hours. 
They have the games on the screen, so you can see, oh, I saw the Green Bay-Baltimore game mm-hmm. on the screen. I just, everything about the stadium is perfect from, and they keep the store open late after the game, not like in Minnesota where they close it. Just friendly, great stadium. I, I can't, I hopefully get it two playoff games there too. But, and the weather's, every time, it's just perfect when you go to the game there, so it's perfect weather. It works out a lot better than, you know, Miami can be really hot. Right, and <laughs> you know what was neat? So before, I got there so early, and Leonard Fournette was, actually had a ball, and he went yeah. around, and he was throwing the ball into the crowd like maybe like maybe 20 times and the crowd he was like playing catch and would yeah. walk around the whole stadium i've never seen a player throw a football into the crowd and have the crowd <laughs> throw the ball back to the player and he's like joking around and throwing the ball and that was great great from leonard fournette let's uh let's talk about the game ira because it wasn't that much scoring no it really wasn't and it was uh, the third downs were a big problem for tampa bay i mean the first the first uh the first third and five it was like it seemed like whenever Tampa had like a third and seven, third and five, they would get two yards, but they couldn't get that first down. Um, and there was like, you know, a first drive was third and five, they threw it to Fournette, and they only got three yards. But New Orleans had a couple big plays. On their second time they had the ball to Callaway, Taysom Hill threw the ball up. It was so short. It was, it was I mean, we were talking, Taysom Hill looked like Tim Tebow out there with his passes, and it was 40 yards underthrown. But they ended up setting them for a field goal. And then Tampa Bay was third and five. And what happens on third and five? Brady got sacked again. He was sacked four times in the game. 15 times the whole season and in 13 games in this one game, four times alone. And the next drive, Hill threw another one to Callaway for 33 yards. They got another field goal. It seemed like just two plays. They got two field goals, making it 6 nothing. But you're like, oh, well, that's easy. The, the Tampa's going to score 30 points. So what, is, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. And then on third and nine, uh, Tampa in the first quarter, Tampa threw to uh, Brady threw to Godwin, Chris Godwin. And he made the catch, but then he got hit hard. And now it comes out that... He tore his ACL. At first, it was t- earlier today that he was just a strain. We'll be back for the playoffs. Now he's going to be out. And I feel horrendous for Godwin. He had 98 catches for the year, 1,000, 1,103 yards. And he was a free agent after the end of the year. So he was going to sign a big contract. And now he tears his ACL. So that was bad. And then, but of course, New Orleans goes back and gets a, a third and out. And then Fournette, then Tampa Bay had a drive. Fournette was running. He had seven catches for seven yards. That's what Brady's been using is Fournette out of the backfield. But Gronk had a key drop on a third. And, and then yeah. on third and seven, Brady was sacked again. And Saka missed a field goal. So, so they missed a field goal. It's still 6 nothing. I mean, it seems like every time New Orleans gets the ball, three and out, and they punt. And then, again, Tampa gets the ball back, third and four on the 39. Brady sacked again, another third down, and he sacked. And then you know it was bad. They punted the ball down to the one-yard line. There was 30 seconds to go. Tampa had all three timeouts. So, really, they might have got the ball back and got and maybe a field goal for, games for a field goal. Tampa's defense just let Taysom Hill just run. They, like, they literally pushed him like out of a, a rugby match <laughs> up to the 10-yard line, and so they weren't able to, to get another the ball back in that first half. So it was 6-0 at the end of the first half, and, and Brady shut out. Um, I run Sports True Oldies channel on Mike Balsamo. We rarely have live football going on uh, when we do our show. We do at the moment. The Browns have made it 10-7 to uh, on the back of a Nick Chubb touchdown. Uh, we got about three seconds left in the third quarter in Cleveland. We'll keep you posted on this game. We'll get to uh, Gene Fournette in just about a minute or so, but let's go to the second half. Yeah, in the second half, the same thing. Tampa was third and two. They threw this pass to Darden. So now... Evan, Mike Evans is hurt with a hamstring. Fournette then gets hurt, and then Godwin's out. So they have Darden in the game. It was a weird pass to throw in a third and two. And then New Orleans went four straight possessions, didn't get a first down. And then on third and two, Gronk had another drop. And then third and seven, they Gronk had there was a, they got a fourth down. Gronk had another drop. Gronkowski had they targeted him. He caught like three passes, but he was targeted eleven times and had five drops. And then like a third and one on the Tampa forty-one, they ran Keyshawn Vaughn up the middle, not Ronald Jones. I mean, I was listening to all the commentary afterwards. Everyone was criticizing Ariad's play calling, Brady's decision making. Everything was bad. And then finally, later in the third quarter, New Orleans had a long drive, ten plays, seven, and then there was this pass to Callaway. They made it nine nothing with seven twenty-eight left. And then on third and ten, you know there was Brady was sacked again. So Brady had sacked through an interception. And I just, at the whole game, I'm thinking, when is Tampa going to make this run? And they just weren't able to. I mean, they out, they out yarded them 302 to 212. And, uh, they, but it was the, two, the first downs. They had 17 first downs to New Orleans 11. And New Orleans was only three out of 16 on third down conversion. So New Orleans really didn't do anything the entire game, but they still win 9 nothing. And it was just one of these really bad games. I mean, Brady threw, it might have cost him the MVP. It was 26 for 48 for uh, 214 yards. Oh, he had a key fumble, too. So not only did they miss the field goal, he was in a position, and he fumbled the ball the other time where they were close to a field goal. So that was pretty bad. We uh, we do have our special guest here coming in right now. He's Gene Fournette, sports columnist. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on Iron Sports. 
Good to be with you, Ira. Been a while since we've talked. <laughs> Gene, um, you're a writer at Florida Times Union. Um, you've been covering the Jaguars for many, many years. So I just thought it would be great to bring you on because somehow, you know, when Urban Meyer went to Jacksonville, I'm like, well, you know, the national media is not going to be talking about Jacksonville so much. It's it's on north of Florida. But, boy, it seems like the story of the news has been. And Shad Khan, the owner, has tried uh, many different coaches now, college coaches, pro coaches. Maybe he's going to hire a sports writer next to be his coach because he seems like he's tried everything and it hasn't worked for him. Well, given that the Jaguars are 43 and 118 in the last 10 years. I don't know how hiring a sports writer could be any worse. <laughs> so really what, when you heard that whenever Meyer was brought there, you, the, there was enthusiasm, but then immediately he got criticism. I was shocked by the criticism. It seemed like maybe he didn't leave Florida. Everyone thought he left like the conquering King leaving Florida when he going up to Ohio state, but it seemed like there was, it was not the goodwill that I expected when urban was hired there as a coach. Well, when he, when he was hired, I, I didn't, I didn't endorse the hire, but I didn't, I didn't criticize it either. I thought the only positive I thought, for the Jaguars of hiring Urban Meyer was from a marketing standpoint. You know, you had a guy that was a, uh, you know, very high profile figure, won three national championships, two at Florida. So from that standpoint, you know, it was a pretty good, you know, combined with the drafting of Trevor Lawrence, it certainly was a pretty good marketing combination from that standpoint. But I had a lot of people also that I trusted telling this is when this was before, you know, he even got into you know, the draft or anything like that, tell me that it's a whole different world jumping from college to the NFL, and they just weren't sure how it was going to go with Urban Meyer. So I, I took on a more wait-and-see attitude. I was not on board with saying that this hire, I called it a boon or bust hire. That's what I thought. I thought it was either going to work out really well or it was just going to be a total bust, and that's exactly what it, what it turned out to be. Now, I never imagined that, that Urban would create would have such terrible missteps, bad judgment, uh, you know, relationship issues within his staff. I didn't, you know, I, that part I didn't realize would, would go to that extent. But um, it's just been, it's been an unmitigated disaster. There's nothing that has been, you know, the Jaguars have set many new standards for lowering the bar, but it's, it's never been worse than it is right now because this is a total embarrassment for Shad Khan because Urban Meyer, uh, was his man crush. Shawn had a man crush on Urban Meyer. He just thought he was, you know, Big Ten background. Of course, uh, Shawn's got the Big Ten with the University of Illinois connection. He just thought Urban Meyer was going to really come in here and transform this franchise, and exactly the opposite occurred. Did something happen with Urban? Like, I was expecting, you saw, I mean, his offense at Florida was pretty with just Tim Tebow, but in Ohio State, he did have innovative, some sort of innovative offenses. So you're waiting for him to bring in. Did, did the disconnect happen with the assistant coaches? I know we heard about the strength coach with Chris Doyle, but in general, you know, you heard recently about he was fighting with the assistants, but you, I would have thought that Urban would have been able to get, you know, people that are loyal to him, the best. It, it seemed like he just did not get the right assistance that he wanted for the NFL job. Well, keep in mind that, you know, of the, uh, when you look at his whole staff and it's, you know, and it's, you know, you know, I mean, the Jaguar staff is a greater population than some small towns in America. I mean, he had like about 30 different coaches on, on the staff. It was unbelievable how large this staff was. And, but not all of them were urban guys. You know, he, he had to, he had to rely on, on hiring a lot of NFL people who he didn't have a previous relationship with, but you know, heard good things about them from other people, you know, particularly Daryl Bevel and, and Brian Schottenheimer, the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. Those guys had a ton of NFL experience. Uh, he retained George Warhop, the offensive line coach, who was there under Doug Marone, longtime NFL coach. And then he went and got Joe Cullen, uh, kind of a veteran NFL coach who had never been a defensive coordinator before. So he was getting his first opportunity. But it was a mixture. You know, it wasn't as if these were, these were not all Urban Meyer guys. Because if you hire all Urban Meyer guys, the problem there is that you're going to be hiring a lot of guys who haven't spent a lot of time in the NFL. And so Urban knew he needed guys with NFL experience. Yes, he brought in Charlie Strong, uh, one of his guys from Florida. He brought in like a Ryan Stamper from Ohio you know, who he knew, who is a former player at Florida and who he hired at Ohio State. But uh, this, in terms of the makeup of the staff, 
it was a very much of a, a little bit of urban, old Urban Meyer guys and a lot of new NFL guys. And, uh, you know, but the main reason that this didn't work, the Jaguars aren't, you know, the Jaguars were 1-15 last year. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this was a 1-15 team that he inherited. And, yes, it's great that Trevor Lawrence, a guy of his talent and caliber, uh, came here. But uh, the roster wasn't all that good. And then you, you lose the DJ Chark. There's, there's your number one receiver, not, not a true number one, but probably your best receiver, certainly your best deep threat. You lose him. Travis Etienne, your first-round draft pick, along with Lawrence, uh, kind of going to be a hybrid receiver, running back type, third-down guy, uh, probably one of your fastest guys. Then you, then he goes down with a Liz Frank injury before the season started. So right away, early on, you lose two of your best speed guys and weapons, which obviously makes it harder for, for Trevor Lawrence, right? Uh, then later on, you lose Jamal Agnew, another speed guy, uh, more of a special teams guy, but it, who you know made some plays as a, as a receiver. So uh, you know you you lose that speed element. You know plus your be- best return specialist, and and on top of that, you know Trevor's trying to get acclimated to the NFL, and that's not going great, right? And you start taking away, you know, some decent weapons, and the only thing you're really left with is James Robinson, uh, a dependable running back, and then you know Urban got in it into it with him when he fumbled. Uh, against the Los Angeles Rams, sat on the bench for 16 straight plays. Like, same thing happened against the Falcons. And it just, it was one thing after another, on field, off the field. We all know what happened in Ohio with, with Urban and the young woman that he was, you know, kind of getting too cozy with, having a lap dance with. So you have all these really bad, I mean, Urban Meyer's 57 years old. What are you doing in a bar and a restaurant? Uh, having sort of a cozy kind of a lap dance type thing with a young woman. Do you, do you not think that there are going to be patrons there that have cell phone cameras? <laughs> I mean, stuff like that. I mean, that really got it rolling. But what was the tipping point for owner Shad Khan? You know, a lot of people are, are making the connection between, you know, kicker Josh Lambeau making his allegations about Urban kicking him and then Urban being fired seven, hour, seven hours later. So everybody, you know, just naturally assumes that because of the timeline, that that was what was kind of the last straw. No, the last straw was Sunday's game against the Tennessee Titans, uh, not just losing the game the way they did, not scoring any points, but the post game, you know, the, the, the cold as of the cold handshake with the, with the opposing coach, Mike, Mike Rabel, Rabel, yeah, and then Rabel. the press conference afterwards, you know, it just, and that was, that was the tipping point for Shad Khan. They, he made the decision that night that he was probably going to let go of Urban, but he the mistake they made was waiting three more nights to make the announcement. That was the mistake they made. You know, they had the 10-year anniversary of Shad Khan owning the team, kind of a celebration with employees. They had a meeting with the media on the yacht, and then it was the NFL owners' meetings for the next day and a half. And, you know, he, he should have just announced it right then and there that Sunday night. That's what he should have done. Uh, but they didn't, and so it kind of made him look a little bit bad that he waited three days, too, and everybody, of course, in the media jumped on it. But uh, it was just, like I said, it was just the PR, Urban Meyer was his own worst enemy. He basically fired himself, not just with the team not really doing well on the field, but more so just one uh, bad optic and PR disaster after another. So Trevor Lawrence, first year, of course, he wins the national championship, and then second year has a tough has a tough loss at the championship game. And then it seemed like after that game, like the third year, the COVID year was not a good year. I'm sure he got COVID before the Notre Dame game, but he didn't play as well. It sort of is the third year he didn't play as well as the first or second year. And now we're seeing him this year struggling. And you know, again, you're you're harking back to his freshman year when he probably played his highest level. Is he getting to some bad habits? Is there, is it just, I mean, it's hard. It's, you know, John Elway struggled. Everybody struggles for their first year. And like we talked about Tua last year, it comes up all the time. But is there something that you see in Trevor? I mean, is everyone still confident he's going to be the savior of the franchise, be the quarterback for the next 20 years? Or is there something you might see that, wow, there is, there's some issues with him? I think it would be a little bit presumptuous to say, hey, he's going to be a great quarterback, just leave him alone, he's eventually going to be you know, the savior, pro bowl, all, all pro. That might happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. But I don't know how you can look at this year and not at least have a, a smidgen of doubt about it, right? Right. Now, granted, 
his surrounding cast is terrible. There's, there's no getting around that. The offensive line is it's not terrible. It's it's just okay. That's all it is. Not, not nothing special. Okay, had had some pretty decent pass blocking moments at times, and and Trevor's very good at not you know running into sacks. He does a pretty good job of making the offensive line look better in that respect. But you've got receivers that don't get separation. You know, and when you have receivers that don't get separation, what happens? Well, you, you're not going. You're, you're not going with a deep ball as often. And if you're not going with a deep ball as often, much easier for the defense to defend you, right? If they're, if, if they're not seeing any balls 15, 20 yards in the air, uh, and if everything's just a little short crossing route stuff, a lot easier to defend, right? And and that's what the Jaguars' offense has become. He's got one, one touchdown pass in the last seven games. I mean, in today's NFL, one touchdown in seven games is like almost unheard of. I mean, that, that's, that's, some, that's a stat you would associate with like an undrafted rookie quarterback who got thrown into the fire, right? Right. That, that's, that's what that feels like. But, uh, you know, I mean, his, his, his completion percent is, is okay. I think it's somewhere around, right around 60%, nothing special. But um, he's got nine touchdowns and 504 passes. Oh, my God. Okay. Davis, okay, Davis Mills, the third-round rookie draft pick that, the Tex- that played against him yesterday with the Texans. He's got 10 touchdowns, but in only 302 attempts. We all know about Mac Jones in New England, 18 touchdowns and 429 attempts. Here's the quarterback ratings for these guys, right? Trevor's at 69.3. Okay. Now, Zach Wilson with the Jets, who they're going to be playing this coming weekend, he struggled as well. He's got only six touchdowns and 300 attempts, 66.4 rating. But Mills is at 82.2. Mac Jones is at 94.6. And I might point out Gardner Minshew, a six-round draft choice, um, when he was a rookie, uh, 91.2 quarterback rating. So, you know, those, those, those numbers – Part of it is a result of, of Trevor not having as good a surrounding cast as some of those guys have. But, you know, Trevor's got to Trevor's got to have some accountability in this, too. He hasn't been quite as accurate. And I wonder, you know, when you have receivers that you can't count on for separation, they had a season-high five drops yesterday. I mean, James Robinson, their dependable running back, dropped a wide-open screen pass that was right in his hands had nothing but daylight in front of him, and he dropped it. Now, granted, it was wet, you know, rainy day yesterday. But, you know, Trevor's not getting a whole lot of help around him. And also, Trevor, and, and consequently, Trevor hasn't been able to put up, you know, the kind of numbers or help himself uh, as well. So, uh, and it makes me wonder, you know, what, what does that do to a quarterback's psyche when you're not seeing production week after week after week? We're talking to Gene Fernetta of the Florida Times Union. Uh, Gene, just one last question in, in general about the, the Jaguars. I mean, I have been to the stadium a couple times. I went last year for the Steeler game. I love the stadium. I, I find it just wonderful. I think the club levels on so many different levels is great. There's just the fun with the pools, all the stuff. I actually like that a lot. But it seemed like before the, this whole before COVID, there was a move to say, well, if there's ever a team that's going to play in Europe, he's going to move the team to London. Like Khan does not want to be in Jacksonville or move it somewhere else. Where is the thought now? Now, certainly they're not playing the games. The foreign games aren't being played as, you know, won't be played this year and, and, and next year. Who knows? But the point is, is does it feel that the team is, you know, now with Trevor Lawrence, the team is going to be a Jacksonville team. They're not going to play three or four games in London and four games here. It is going to be a Jacksonville team for, for the foreseeable future. Well, it's kind of strange that you even ask that question, to be honest with you, because um, this seems to be some uh, kind of a narrative that gets thrown out there by national guys who are not in this area. Because those people that are in this area, that narrative went away seven, eight years ago. That, that, that narrative reached a kind of a, a climax back in like 2011 when, when Schaub was just bought the team. And then when he moved the games to London, when he moved one home game to London, you know, in 2012, and so I think it started in 13, it, it, it had a little bit of momentum then. But in the last, the last three or four years, uh, the message has been more than come across that Shad intends to make it work here because look all the money that he spent. I mean, you wouldn't be spending 
you know, a hundred million dollars, you know, for video boards and amenities and, and making the club seats better and the cabanas and, and, uh, and an amphitheater outside the stadium, if you weren't intending to stay. Okay. And now they're, they're, they've signed a deal for the, to redevelop the shipyards here to, to create even more amenities around the stadium, including a sports performance center. Uh, Shad Khan's probably is going to be bringing a four seasons hotel, uh, here to Jacksonville, you know, like, you know, they don't have a five-star hotel downtown. So the, that's what the four seasons will be. Point being, he's done so much already for the city of Jacksonville, invested so much that the people here understand that this guy's committed, right? Uh, has a lease extension been signed yet? No. But when that stadium, uh, they're going to, they're going to be making a pitch for a stadium renovation here for perhaps in the next year, because they're going to want that. The, the lease expires after the 2029 season. So you're, I think you're going to see a, oh, I don't know, $500 million renovated stadium. Oh, wow. That's the plan to uh, in Jacksonville, I'd say, within the next five years. Well, I hope that happens. And, I, I uh, hope that happens. And, you know, you're not spending that kind of money with the intention of moving a team anywhere. I agree. No, I agree. No, I, I love every time I'm there. And I'll tell you, the one thing they do is when you're in the state, I've ne- the friendliest people, whatever they do, to de- it may be just the Jacksonville people, but you're in there. Everyone's trying to help you. Um, they're just everyone is so wonderful in that stadium. It's, it's the fr- it is the friendliest stadium. Everybody knows where everything is. I go to these other stadiums. I've been to 25 stadiums and, and you ask people like where sections are, this and no one has any idea. Everybody at Jacksonville knows their stadium. They're proud of it. They thank you for coming. They love the fact that you're wearing Steeler gear and you're at the stadium. Like it's really a good thing and and i i just love going there for games so i hope it it stays there but uh but gene i really appreciate you coming on iron sports i and talking about because this is you know i said this is the the jacksonville's in the news the urban meyer the trevor lawrence and it's great that uh it's getting it's interesting that it's getting in the news but hopefully you would get a chance because you'd be in playoff contention and those type of things well let me make one point the big reason to be honest with you why the jaguars are so much in the news other than the fact that they've you know fired their coach uh, 13 games of the season. It's Urban Meyer. He's a polarizing figure. Uh, and he was a polarizing figure at Florida. You know, he had 31 players that were arrested while he was at Florida. He had the incident with the assistant coach at Ohio State. And he's, he's been a polarizing figure wherever he's been because he's won, but he's also had a lot of off-the-field issues that cause, make people wonder about, you know, you know, just how genuine this guy really is. He does not have i got to be honest, he does not have a good off-the-field reputation. He has a really good reputation as a guy who's an organizer and can build a college program, fantastic recruiter. But it's a different, the NFL is a different world, and I think Urban found that out, and he also found out that things that he could do and get away with in college, he could not get away with in the NFL, and that's why he's unemployed. Well, thank you a lot. I really appreciate Gene coming on Iron Sports, and hopefully we'll have you back again soon sometime. Thanks, Ira. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Great stuff there from uh, Gene Frenette. You can follow him on Twitter, at Gene Frenette. So, Ira, we've only got about uh, seven minutes or so until we have to get to uh, Vincent Gray, defensive back from University of Michigan, who will be playing here uh, on on New Year's Eve. Let's talk about Tennessee and Pittsburgh. And I, I keep saying that keep, this keeps happening, Ira. It's like a tale of two halves with you guys, and sometimes – Sometimes the offense looks like it can't be stopped, and other times it looks like, what what team am I watching? Well, it's the first half. Yeah. I mean, the idea is, it, it is it, it, what you know about the Steelers is when they're only down 10 nothing, 13 nothing. it's like, well, they're we're right, not, right in the game. We're not down 25 <laughs> points. We're not down 30 points. Like, it's like that's all pen. Like, Steelers just wait till they get, you know, to get motivated. I mean, the first, the first four possessions, they had two first downs in like 10 yards. Yeah. In the first, like, you just, you don't, have, as much as I want to start the Steelers game, you know, be there for the kickoff, it's like, you could just sit and wait, and then they'll, <laughs> they'll start coming. And boy, Tennessee did everything they possibly could in terms of the uh, just like Tennessee in the second half. I mean, it was just the fumbles and the mistakes and the roughing the passers. Like there was a point where the Steelers were driving and the Steelers, like if the te- Steelers could not get any drives, but it's only the Tennessee kept fumbling the ball in their own territory. Mm-hmm. It's four 
turnovers. And this has been a, a problem. They've had now, they've had four turnovers. They have 13 turnovers in four games, and they're one and three in their last four games. And here's a team, you know, I just was driving in here, and someone said, well, everybody knows Tennessee's going to win the division, and the Colts will uh, finish second. I don't know. I mean, Tennessee could lose their next three games. Like, this team is, is it, is it, and the Colts are coming off their biggest win of the season. Right. And, I, and, and this team is a disaster. And it just, that's really, it, it really, again, the Steelers were down, and then the Steelers made it 13 13. And at that point, it was like it just, every time they would turn the ball over, uh, uh, Tannehill had those two, had the fumble that he just dropped the ball and uh, TJ Watt just found, you know, got on top of it. Then the, the key of the game was at 19 13, and Tennessee finally has a, this long, long drive at the end of the game. It was like 10 minutes down to go down to the field. They got a fourth and one on the 33. They got by, they got it by an inch. And then on fourth and seven, they threw it and it looked like it looked short, but then they, at first they ruled it was a first down, then it's not. But Joe Hayden, who's been out, I think for six, seven games, made an amazing tackle and it, it, stopping the, uh, stopping the run. And I think that was the key thing. I mean, it was, that was, it was clearly one of those games where this, the, the Pittsburgh had 12 first downs, Tennessee 22. Uh, Pittsburgh was 2 for 11. I mean, this is even worse than the Saints, you know, in terms of play. <laughs> 2 for 11 on third down. I'll give you another stat. Tennessee ran 80 plays. The Steelers ran 45. Ten Steelers had 160 yards. Tennessee had 320. And, te and, uh, and, uh, and the Steelers still win the game. Just a, an amazing. And they, it was a game they had to win. They're 7-6-1. They had to win that game. Yeah, and they're, they're keeping their playoff hopes alive. Um, I run Sports Troll D Channel. It's 13-7 to now. 6 minutes, 44. Uh, 6.44 left to go in the game. Raiders on top of the Browns. Browns do have the ball, though, and they are driving. Keep you updated on that. Dolphins played the Jets. Now the Dolphins opened up 1-7, and seven, and they're back to 500 at 7-7. Seven and seven. You know, you got to beat the teams on your schedule. The Dolphins just confuse me, though, because some drives, it's kind of like Pittsburgh, where they take the ball right down the field, no issues at all, and then the next four drives, they can't get a first down. It's, it's a little frustrating to watch. Yeah, except, but that second half, I mean, they're sort of like, playing sort of like the Steelers because that second half, too, they dominated the Jets. I mean, yeah. except for the pick six touchdown, they scored almost, they scored, they were scoring. Yeah, they were well. losing in the first half. Losing man. in the first down, they were down, and then they, they were down 17 7, 17 10 at the half. And except for the pick six, I thought two of I mean, he was 16 for 27, two touchdowns, uh, and threw two interceptions. But it was. Look, he's winning, and 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 yep. I think it's like a second-year quarterback. And if you're comparing him, you made the point last week. You made all the other quarterbacks. He's looking better. He went against uh, Zach Wilson, and and he, Wilson looked terrible in this yep. game. And yeah, like we said, you know, Trevor Lawrence. These guys are just not not performing. Uh, you know, we're still only in what his uh, this is his twenty-second career start. You know, it's not like he's got a massive body of work. Let's go back to Thursday night because man, what a treat we have with Casey and uh, the LA Chargers. Well, I think you know Kansas City was three and four. Now they've won seven straight, and <laughs> finally now Mahomes had this is like the Mahomes the second in that fourth quarter would look like Mahomes. He was 31-47. Four, I mean, and this week when quarterbacks are throwing for hundred yards and one hundred and ten yards, four hundred ten yards, three touchdowns. Now he had a fumble, had an interception, but. Boy, going against Herbert and and that was and and, and Staley, Brennan Staley, the uh, coach of the Chargers, the twice he comes down in the first half on fourth and five and on the Kansas City five doesn't kick a field goal. Then at the end of the end of the first half, fourth and one on the Kansas City one, he doesn't go kick a field goal either. They both go on fourth down, not getting it. He leaves at least six points there, and not it was, he leaves six points on the board, and then it forces to get you know it gets to overtime. And at that point, then on wa another walk off with uh, Kelsey uh, Mahomes to Kelsey for a touchdown, but. So I think a lot of it was it really won the division for Kansas City. And I think it positions Kansas City now when you're seeing the other AFC teams like Tennessee struggling, New England had their loss, Baltimore struggling. Buffalo like, can't run the ball. Buffalo can't run the ball. You're like you're like Kansas City. Okay, here we go. This is back to Kansas City. They finally they they got off to a slow start three and four, and now Mahomes is starting to play better. And it, it was this was a statement game, a statement win. And it was one of those things where, again, now it looks like maybe Kansas City righted the ship from that three and four start. For all the people that invested a first round pick in Travis. Kelsey he'd had a kind of a down year and then if he made the playoffs he really rewarded you uh with a massive uh massive output there 150 or 191 yards two touchdowns um New England they're doing as as best they can but you have to feel like they're undermanned a lot their defense was phenomenal going into this game with the Chargers they just didn't quite have it uh, on Saturday well you can see New England the punt block they let Tennessee I mean uh Indianapolis score a touchdown and then they get a punt New England's had a punt block for a touchdown they're not good enough to overcome that. And yeah. they can't get behind in a game. There was a lot of things that – and Indianapolis played great. And Jonathan Taylor is, 
the best running back in the league and was able to control it. And this was it's been funny if New England would ran the ball. Like it, it, everyone's waiting for Carson Wentz to have a back game. He threw the ball 12 times. Like you, you should have a Mac Jones, Carson Wentz, where they just throw a few <laughs> times. But actually, New England had to throw the ball more. Uh, Mac Jones was 26 for 45 for almost 300 yards. But now Indy's won five out of six games. And it was the Pats saw their seven-game win streak end. It's not saying, okay, the Patriots are terrible. They went against, again, you're seeing a lot of good teams this week lost. Arizona lost this week. Baltimore lost. I mean, these teams, the league is so bunched up together that you're going to see games like this. But that's why when you see how Indy plays, I'm not giving the division to Tennessee. I'm, and I hate when people say that, oh, Indy's going to be, you're not going to want to see Indy in the playoffs or you're not going to see San Francisco. They're gonna. They might be one of the favorites. Like, not want to see them. Like, Indianapolis could be like the second favorite behind Kansas City if they win their next three games. So, don't, I'm not. You know, at, at that point, it was like they look great. Their defense is improving, and they certainly know how to run the ball. And as long as Carson Wentz doesn't make stupid, stupid plays, they're set to go. The Browns have just taken the lead, 14 to 13, over the Raiders. A uh, pass from Nick Mullins to Harrison Bryant, two household names there, connecting uh, for Cleveland to take the lead here with 3:45 left to go in the game. I already got just a minute or so until we have to get to Vincent Gray. What other games you want to touch on? How about Detroit upsetting Arizona? Wow. So, <laughs> wow. So, I mean, Arizona was down 24 to three. Jared Goff was looked amazing, 216 yards, three touchdowns. But it was one of those things where Arizona now just keeps making excuses, excuses, excuses. They were rolling along. They were 7-0. Uh, Kyler Murray got hurt. They lost to Green Bay 24-21. They beat San Francisco without Murray. And people say, oh, they can still win without Kyler Murray and still be great with uh, Colt McCoy at their quarterback. But then they've lost to the Rams. Now they've lost this game. Now they play Indy, Dallas, and Seattle at the end. I don't. This is what Arizona did last year. They started losing all their games. I'm not. When you see how they play, I'm not confident. And they they say they've lost DeAndre Hopkins, so he's out. But they still have Kirk uh, at, at wide receiver, and they have AJ Green, and they have other weapons. I mean, it shouldn't be Hopkins is the reason why they get blown out, blown out by the Lions when they're 12, 13 point favorites. I mean, you had two double digit favorites lose. Tampa Bay was a double digit favorite. They lost, and Arizona was a double digit favorite over the Lions and lost. They're but, a tale of two half seasons, not half. I mean, they're a different team in the second half of the I'm season. Not, I'm not, to me, if Arizona played San Francisco, they're like, oh, Arizona doesn't want to see San Francisco. Oh, San Francisco's a better team than Arizona yeah. right now. <laughs> so the point is, that's why, like, I don't think Arizona's going to win a playoff game. Like, that's they'll, they'll get to the playoff game. They'll get to the playoffs. They might win one of these games, but they're they're not going to win. They're, the way they're playing, and this is what happened. I mean, Kyler Murray gets, it's like he gets beat up by the end of the year, and this is exactly what happened last year, and then he starts making mistakes, doesn't make plays, and gets frustrated in the game, and, and this is Arizona. It's what happened exactly the this. The script is what happened last year. Just real quick, let's talk about how Green Bay did edge out Baltimore, and John Harbaugh really hates kicking extra points, doesn't he? Well, you're getting with Staley with, <laughs> with the Chargers. I mean, these kickers might be out of the league soon, but I mean, they get they against the Steelers when they came down. I told you I was at that game, and I'm waiting for them to kick the extra point. And so no, he doesn't like playing overtime. Like Harbaugh is not. I mean, he's he's the he's the Howard Schellenberger that was actually <laughs> didn't have overtime back then, but but the Tom Osborne because Osborne went for the two at the against Miami when they were trying to win the national championship. But again, they 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 were down 31-17, and Tyler Huntley from Utah came back and made he played a great game and had those two great drives against Green Bay. And and one thing that people forget is and they score the touchdown, and then in the then Green Bay has the ball, and they had a bad possession there. Like that's one where Aaron Rodgers, who's now is the MVP favorite over Brady. But he's got to realize that I just give a touchdown. I'm only up a touchdown. I can't give the ball back to Baltimore. And he, it was like three and out really fast. And then the Baltimore comes out and drives down. And then they go for two, just like they did against a week prior. This, uh, a yeah. week prior. And the question is, they should have gone for two, maybe the possession before. Yeah, you got to do it when you're down two scores. So you have two chances to get it. Yes, you either and, tie or win. And then, it, right. And that would have been the situation. But then he waited to go over that. Then they don't go for two, just like the Steelers. And now, as a Steeler fan, I'm like, wow, this is great. You know, they've now totally thrown the, away. The audio came out today, though. He's asking the players right on the field. Do you guys want to go over two? Should we so let's say, oh, I'm trusting the analytics. No, you're not. You're asking your players what they want to do. And you lost two games now because of it. Right, right. <laughs> and, and then the other team I want to go before we go to our interview is Dallas and the Giants. Because I keep hearing how everyone is on like Dallas hasn't looked good. Dak Prescott hasn't looked great. No. But they're ten and four, and I like their team. Their defense is good. And, defense is carrying them. And Demarcus Lawrence is playing great. You have Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. I would no team has three defensive players like that, like Parsons, Diggs, and Lawrence that are playing at such a high level. And I think the offense has weapons. Like again, I'm not so concerned. Like when you look at how everyone's struggling, and you see, 
Dallas is still winning games. They're still Dallas good. Dallas could win the NFC. Yes, I, I don't see any reason why they could. Right, and 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 really, the team, the two teams that look good after this week, we're gonna we're gonna put we're put everything away. The two teams that look whatever is Green Bay and Kansas City. But each team has had so many problems yeah. this year and situations and games. You get the Rams that, coming on now since, right. since they lost. So I'm not sold that Green Bay and Kansas City are like, oh, clearly no. they're going to be the two top teams in it. And especially in the AFC when anybody, like there's and there's not a team, if you make the playoffs, you have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9 West Palm Beach. We're honored to have the star quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines, Vincent Gray, on the line right now. Vincent, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you for having me. So, Vincent, you're uh, excited. I mean, I just went for a run this morning. It's 80 degrees down here in Florida. I know you'll probably be coming down in a week or two to uh, to, to South Florida, so you should be looking forward to the nice weather we have here. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I get to spend Christmas down there, and I get to spend my birthday out there, so I'm excited for it. <laughs> well, happy birthday. Happy birthday. So, Vincent, you, you grew up in uh, Rochester, Michigan, uh, and was one of the star players in the state of Michigan in high school. What was it like playing football? When we talk about football in California and in uh, Florida and in Pennsylvania. What was football like in Michigan and Rochester? Um, football was great in Michigan. I feel like we got to experience the whole like trifecta as far as like, the weather. We got to have hot games at the start of the season and go to cold games. I played in snowy games my whole life. So uh, just playing in Michigan has been fun. So it's, it's been a great experience. And when you were deciding on what colleges to go to, what were like you know you what were some of the schools that you were considering besides University of Michigan? Um, I was considering Michigan, UCLA, Oregon, uh, Iowa State, and West Virginia. Wow, that was a good, that was a mix of across the country. What 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 drew you to yeah. Michigan? What was the what was the single factor that said I I want to stay home in Michigan? Um, really, it was my official visit. I, I had no plans or intentions on committing to Michigan until I took my visit to Michigan and uh, just feeling the vibes and uh, realizing how much they wanted me and how much they believed in me just drew me to commit on my visit. So, I mean, there's one, you know, you came to Michigan and, and you had success here the first three years, but it was more like people kept saying, you know, you kept hearing about this Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. As a player on the team, did you feel it, or is it is it the outside pressures about the whole Ohio State, or did you do you actually feel it? Is, do you talk about it all the time as a team? No, yeah, we most definitely felt it, especially throughout my early years, for sure. Uh, I feel like this past year we made it like a like a like a personal vendetta. Like every day, they were, we probably mentioned Ohio State, so uh, you can imagine it was a huge relief when we finally did it. Because every, like literally, I can't like every day we, it was on our minds. We have a, a board in our weight room that says, "What are you doing today to beat Ohio State?" <laughs> we see that every single day. So. And what about all the criticism Coach Harbaugh gets? I mean, I don't think there's a coach in any sport that got more criticized by Coach Harbaugh. And I mean, we're down in South Florida, and we're hearing it constantly. He gets more criticized than mm-hmm. Manny Diaz, who was the coach at Miami down here. So. Did you feel it? I mean, did 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 how did you like? Does the did you hear the criticism of Harbaugh and did it fuel you to like? like we got to win it for coach. We got to win it for ourselves. Yeah. Those type of things. Most definitely, I felt it. Uh, everywhere you go, especially outside of the building, everyone wants to know how is Coach Harbaugh. What is Coach Harbaugh? Do you <laughs> like Coach Harbaugh? Yeah, and I'll, I'll be the one to say he's a great coach, a great guy, and we definitely it was definitely added added motivation to go out there and do it for him because. Uh, he he doesn't deserve all those criticisms. He works very hard. He works tirelessly, and he uh, tries his best to get the best out of us. Like you can you can really see like his efforts and like how he tries to change throughout years to try to get better to try to better himself to be better for us. And I respect him for that. So and we all respect him for that, which makes us want to go harder for him. And then last year during the pandemic, that was just so hard. I mean, the Ohio State game was canceled. Uh, games were the Big Ten. It was just a mess in terms of last year. And I think, though, that that probably built some camaraderie in the program in terms of getting through the pandemic and, and, and to, to set up for this great year we had that you had this year. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that because the, the pandemic was very hard, especially for our program. Uh, COVID hit our campus very hard. And uh, a lot of our players were getting covered throughout the season, false positives, missing practices. The schedule was all out of whack. Uh, it was just, it, it just wasn't the same. We couldn't even eat together. Like everything was like on the go. Zoom meetings couldn't meet together. So it was all, it was all just discombobulated. But uh, as soon as they released those COVID sanctions from us, 
uh, I feel like uh, we did a great job uh, rallying together and creating a bond fast uh, as a unit and as a program. And Coach Harbour brought in a, a new defensive coordinator for, for you this year from the Ravens. That must have been fun to sort of get someone from the NFL to be running your defense. Yes, sir. Very fun. I love Coach Mike. Uh, he's very smart, very intelligent. Uh, and I just love his approach to the game. I feel like his approach to the game and the new coaches, the new defensive coaches' approach to the game uh, was, was suits our personality as a defense very well. So you had a great year this year. Um, is a cornerback, star cornerback, you for third team of all Big Ten. Um, you lose the Michigan game, Michigan State game. That would have, that, when you lost the Michigan State game, people said, okay, everything's going to go off the rails. This is truly what Michigan is. They're not going to win. How were you able to recover that and then win the next three, four games right there before the Ohio, next three games before the Ohio State game? Um, that was a tough, very tough loss because especially coming off the year that we had against them the year before. So we were highly motivated to go out there and beat them this year. And it, it honestly feels like we feels like we I mean, we feels like we put put up a good game against them. Uh, looking back on it, but uh, it just didn't go the way we wanted, and, and that hurt a lot. And we just had to we just knew that we had to move forward. We knew we couldn't let them beat us further more in our season. So we just wanted to take that one loss and not let them ruin, not let them mess up what we had going forward because we knew everything that we still wanted was still in front of us. And then going into the Ohio State game. I mean, as much as you could have probably, I, I said on my show, you probably could have won every game 100 to nothing, and you would still have been the underdog against Ohio State. And they said, there's no way they're going to be able to stop Olave and Wilson and Jacob Smith, you know, the, all three first-round wide, rec- wide receivers. They're going to be the three best wide receivers you ever had on one team. And that was a lot of pressure on you. I mean, a lot of people, there was a lot of talking and everything, but you really rose to the, the challenge and, and shut them down. Yeah, uh, I think we're at, we're at it more I guess you could say pressure was them coming off the week that they had before and just hearing all of that all week. Like, did you, did you see what they just did to Michigan State? <laughs> what they did that to Michigan State? What was going to look the same? And how quick they did it to them and all of that. So it was just it just it just added motivation, added extra grit to the to the grind throughout the week preparing for them. So uh, that that week we had a great a great week of preparation and we were all highly motivated and we were able to go out there and get the job done. Did you feel that they were a little overconfident coming into that game? I mean, it just seemed to be during – I mean, when you saw them, there was a little scuffles before the game. But, I mean, I noticed – I went to the Penn State-Ohio State game, and I felt like – I just felt like Ohio State sort of – I mean, they when they look like a team that when they're rolling, they're rolling. You know, they want to be in the lead, but when it gets tough, they, they don't fight through as hard. I saw that even in the Penn State game somewhat. And maybe they might be you know, a little bit overconfident against you. Yeah, it's funny you bring up the Penn State game because I watched that game a lot preparing for them. So uh, yeah, I could I could definitely tell that too. I could definitely tell that they were also a team that just that was used to being in the lead and comfortable with being ahead. So I kind of felt in my heart that if we jumped out on them early, it would be difficult for them to like to try to get back. But they are also a team that can score very fast, which is also in the back of my mind. So we just knew we had to limit explosives and take away the things that they wanted. Because we knew that at the end of the day they had great players and that they were going to make their plays and that they were going to get theirs, but we just had to limit, just keep that limited. Well, I mean, you're a cover corner, but also you're great on the run support, which is going to be perfect for this Georgia game coming up where, you know, Georgia likes to run the ball uh, and then, you know, goes for the big plays. And it's so, I mean, Georgia presents a huge challenge for Michigan in terms of for you because they're just, you know, their defense, of course, is great. But I think their offense, I mean, every game, it's not like they're winning games six, nothing. They're winning. They were winning games during the season, like 40 to nothing. So they were scoring a lot of points and people just keep thinking about their defense, but not about how their offense just sort of, you know, controls the ball, running the ball, making great third down passes, those type of things. Yes, this, this is a really good um, – this is going to be a really good matchup for us. Uh, we pride ourselves on stopping the run, and they pride themselves on running the ball. They make their hay on running the ball. And uh, we as DBs have to do a good job of containing and being physical on the edges and letting our linebackers do what they do, and which is stop the run. But we also have to uh, – they do they, – they will throw the ball downfield and – they will take deep shots, and we have to stop that as well. So, uh, we're just ready for we're, we're just ready for anything that they throw at us, and just getting mentally and physically prepared throughout these three weeks, and just trying to have a better uh, month of preparation than they than they will for this game. 
you know, I liked against the Iowa game. A lot of people said, oh, well, Michigan finally beat Ohio State. Now they're going to have a letdown. Now they're going to just feel like they won. But but you came against Iowa and destroyed them. And now I think people are saying, well, you know, like it's not just, you know, you really are going for the national title. It's not just, oh, we just beat Ohio State. Our season's over. You're you're going to, you know, go to take this as far as you can. Yeah, it's crazy how, like, we've been talking about this since uh, fall, I mean, yeah, fall camp, uh, training camp. We've been talking about our goals and what we wanted, what we've seen from what we've seen ourselves doing this season. And it's, this has always been on the board, uh, win the next game, uh, win the Big Ten East, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten, go to the national championship. It's always been on our mind. It's always been our agenda from the start. So just seeing it come to fruition just feels really good and just makes us want to keep going harder because we don't want to get this far just to get this far. And as someone like, you know, I was reading a, a lot about you and, you know, people are giving you a tremendous amount of credit for someone who was talented coming to the Michigan program, but just kept improving every single year to now putting yourself in a position, you know, 13, Big Ten and, and all Big Ten. And it must give you a lot of pride to put, you know, I know how much work and effort. I mean, my 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 friend, uh, our mutual friend, Ben Shapiro, I'll give him a shout out. You know, he tells me what a great guy and how hard you work. And and I think that it must give you a lot of self-satisfaction. You know, you've you know, stuck it out for four years, and now this is what you've been able to accomplish through all your hard work. Yeah, it does, but it also makes – I just want to keep going. It makes me want to just keep keep pushing this thing and keep grinding and just see how far I can get doing this thing. So it it, it does feel good, but it also just it adds to the motivation. It makes me want to just keep going and keep attacking it. And then what what would your plans for? I know you don't want to look too much in the future, but like after you know after you win the national championship and you have your parades and everything like that, after that's all done, what is your plans then going for the future in terms of getting ready for the pros and those type of things? Um, I'm not sure yet. I kind of been taking uh, this process day by day and focusing my mind on Georgia as of right now. But as soon as that game is over with, uh, I will be making those types of decisions and talking to uh, people that. I get advice from and my coaches and all of that stuff. And oh, because you do have an extra, you would have an extra year to come back, correct? Because the way they did with it. Yeah, I do. I do. I really have two because of COVID, but I do have an extra year. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. It's it's real complicated when you look at what years are people. Yeah. It's just, oh, now it's like different. You got super seniors, big <laughs> year seniors. Like, well, I know, Vince, Vincent, I know that you're so busy. I really appreciate you coming up on Iron Sports, and we can't wait for you to come down to South Florida. The weather's beautiful. Your team's got to have a good time, but don't enjoy it too much. Get ready for Georgia, and uh, I'm excited for this. It's going to be a tremendous game on New Year's Eve. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show, Iron. So when would you ever hear a professional athlete say uh, about their rival? We think about them every day. <laughs> college kid, they can get away with that. Ira, let's talk a little college before we wrap it up. Um, just a couple bowl games this week. Uh, last in Coastal Carolina, we had Jamie Chadwell on our show. They won their first bowl victory ever. Uh, Grandma McCall had 30, 315 yards pass. They beat Northern Illinois in the Cure Bowl in Orlando. Uh, UAB, which a few years ago disbanded their entire program, beat BYU 31-28 in the Independence Bowl. And then Liberty and Malik Willis, who is going to be a first-round draft pick, uh, had beat Eastern Michigan 56-20. This week, there's a Missouri plays Army on Wednesday. Going to be an interesting game between Missouri and Army. Really would think Army is going to win that game if I was betting it. I think Army is playing this Missouri, but doesn't care about it. And then on Thursday, UCF is playing Florida at the Raymond James Stadium. And again, I think you would think that Florida doesn't really care about this game, but UCF really cares about this game, the chance to beat Florida. So I'd pick UCF. And then we'll get ready. We'll talk next week for the Bama-Cincinnati game and the Georgia-Michigan games, which will be played on New Year's Eve. I want to thank so much to uh, Gene Fournette for popping by. Also, Vincent Gray. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.